0: This episode of Dear Hank and John is brought to you by Blue Land. Did you know that uh, about 5 billion, b-b-b-billion, that's, a di- I checked that because that's a lot, plastic hand soap and cleaning bottles are thrown away every year. And if that's not bad enough, most cleaning formulas are 90% water, which is heavy. We're shipping around all this water using fuel when we don't have to. Every year, Americans throw away 25% more trash from Thanksgiving to New Year. This year, maybe, turn the New Year's resolution into action that makes a difference by switching to Blueland. Blueland is on a mission to eliminate single-use plastic by reinventing cleaning essentials to be better for you and the planet with the same powerful clean you're used to. It's a simple idea. They have refillable cleaning products, they have a nice Hello, and welcome to Dear Hank and John. Or as I prefer to think of it, Dear John and Hank. It's a comedy podcast where me and my brother John, that's that other person talking, will answer your questions, give you dubious advice, and bring you all the week's news from both Mars and AFC Wimbledon. Hey, John, how are you doing?
1: Not great. It's been a terrible week, Hank, as you know, uh, here in the United States. Uh, It's just been a really hard, difficult, painful week, I think, for everyone.
0: Yes. Um... And I'm sure that we will talk about that in the midst of our podcast questions, several of which have to do with that. Uh, But first, do you have a short poem for us?
1: I do. Among the many terrible things that happened since the last time we recorded the podcast is that the great Muhammad Ali died, uh, the greatest boxer of all time, who wrote this little poem, float like a butterfly, sting like a bee, the hands can't hit what the eyes can't see. I'm a huge Muhammad Ali fan. Hank, uh, he was a great writer, great off-the-cuff poet, uh, like the first great freestyler. Just a massive Muhammad Ali fan. Uh, the world is poor without
0: him. You uh, uh, and that's not that's not making it up. I remember you being a huge Muhammad Ali fan when I was a kid, um, and always thinking that was and not really understanding it.
1: Um, well, I think I've always been attracted to uh, his poetry but also there's a certain poetry about the way that uh that he boxed um he's a complicated person but then again most of us are uh and and i was a, a huge fan of his and uh am very very sorry for his loss
0: all right john let's do some questions uh, start off with one from from katie who asks dear hank and john my friends and i started an all-girl rock band i'm the drummer But we're really new to this whole rock band thing. Do you have any wisdom to share about being in a band? Uh, You you answer this, John. You spend a lot of time in bands. I've never been in a band. Hank's been in a band his
1: whole life, and I've always (laughs) been jealous. I've always wanted to be a rock and roll star. I've always wanted to, like, feel the energy of an audience, like, singing back the lyrics to me. I've always wanted that. Tragically... I am unable to play any musical instrument, even remotely competently. Like, I can't even play bass well enough to get into Hank Green and the Perfect Strangers, and I can't (laughs) sing on key. So I've just, I've had to spend my whole life on the outside looking in at the rock band world, desperately jealous of my brother. So Hank, (laughs) tell Katie how to be in a rock band, travel the country, have
0: people love you, ugh, God, crowd surf? I'm so jealous. You've crowd surfed. Okay, I have three corrections now. First, you have crowd surfed. Second, uh, I have not been in a band my whole life, though I did spend quite a lot of time in high school in the band, meaning the marching band. Uh, And third... I think Paul DeGeorge is going to be very upset to hear you say that you don't have enough talent to even be the bass player. uh, Because bass players have very important jobs and very difficult jobs. And our artists, like any other artist, people diss it on bass players all the time. Anyway, uh, I I don't even—Hank, I can't even tell you if that's
1: true or not. That's how little I know about bass playing. I don't even know if what I said was
0: offensive. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, yeah— the the thing my the thing about being in a band that i have discovered is uh and i i got into this old uh much older than the average person in a band it's all about being friends and if there isn't that then none of it is worth it um you are if it is it is about having a good time and if you are in a band that is even remotely successful, you will be spending a huge amount of time with these people in uncomfortable situations uh, stuffed into a small space very close by them. And if you cannot uh, figure out really great ways to have really great uh, personal relationships with the people, then it's all for naught. Uh, and so that's really what it's about. And that is that is a tremendous life skill: figuring out how to have a group of people who can do something together, who can accomplish things together, and not get on each other's nerves, or when you do get on each other's nerves, do your best to uh, take care of it immediately. And that is something that, you know, I've I learned from my bandmates who have been in more bands than me and for longer, is that uh, when you're on the road especially, if things start getting all tense. You immediately have to have to recognize it and deal with it and that I think is uh, actually a really great life skill that has nothing to do really with music and everything to do with uh, with just any collaborative project and uh, and I'm thankful to them for helping me learn, learn those skills and that lesson. That's
1: great Hank, it made me even more jealous <laughs> now I desperately want to be in your band I can't even play the tambourine, I'm hopeless, <laughs> but we do have another question Hank it comes from Candler who asks Dear John and Hank, I am a cat Wait, what? Nope, nope, nope I have a cat. Oh, that's a, <laughs> <laughs> all right. Keep going. <laughs> Sorry about that. Uh, Candler is not a cat. Uh, but rather has a cat. I have a cat, and this afternoon I found a lizard tail on my bedroom floor sans lizard. Given that this cat does not go outside, this can only mean one thing. The lizard was already inside and still remains in one of the deep, dark corners of the room where I plan to sleep. How do you suggest I cope with my fear that this tailless reptilian will end up on my face during the night? Well, first off, good news, Candler. You're not a cat. No, that's, I mean, that's yes. a huge development. Mm-hmm.
0: Second, uh, secondly, potentially, the lizard is already dead. Yes. Well, not necessarily. No, the cat ate the lizard, Hank. The, the the lizard is probably inside of the cat. Yeah. No. At uh, this
1: point, the lizard is inside of the litter box, having been pooped out
0: by the cat. <laughs> Uh it it it's it is a potential that there is a tailless lizard who has succeeded in using its floppy removable tail to escape from the cat no. and in that case no there is a lizard in your house who is a who is has no interest in you at all uh and will never ever do anything Uh, unpleasant to you. That's true. Though, don't worry about it either way. But there is
1: an underlying fear that I can relate to, as I can relate to most underlying fears, uh, which is that when things from outside appear inside, it is very stressful for some people, including me. Like, I have no problem with mice when they are outside. I have no problem with bats when they are outside. Almost no animal properly scares me when it is in its appropriate place, which is outdoors but almost every non-pet animal terrifies me indoors like if i see a mouse outside i'm like oh it's a mouse if i see a
0: mouse inside it is a level 1 emergency <laughs> i uh i relate to this and i think that there's something psychological about it about like sort of how we have how we have decided our like our enclosed spaces should be and when that is violated it feels like a personal violation um uh, but I definitely think that there are animals who I would be terrified to be nearby, in or outside, and a, a number of no. them. Certainly not most like animals, what? but I don't know—a mountain lion, an alligator, a hippopotamus, a bison, a well, moose. Yeah, I, I, let me just tell
1: you, Hank, here in Indianapolis, the number of like outdoor hippopotamus attacks is very <laughs> low. <laughs> Well, I hope the number i I hope the number of indoor hippopotamus attacks is also very low <laughs> very low. it's very near zero. Hank, did I ever tell you about the rhino that escaped from the zoo in Central Europe? No, before I tell the story, I just want to acknowledge that this is uh what Bill Clinton once called a high class problem and i and I understand that, but uh
0: <laughs> okay,
1: as I may have mentioned on the podcast before hank there is is nothing that I have ever done in my life uh that I found. As horrible as a press junket, which are these Mm -hmm. days when uh, you sit uh, for 12 or 14 hours in a place and every six minutes a reporter comes in and they ask you the exact same questions and then they leave. And one minute later, a different reporter comes in and asks you questions for six minutes, only it's the same questions all day long. Mm -hmm. And I I found it intensely uh, stressful and terrifying and unpleasant and uh, Nat Wolf and I uh, were in these press junkets together on on both *The Fault in Our Stars* and *Paper Towns* movies. And during the *Paper Towns* press junkets, people started uh, like testing whether or not we were properly friends with each other by like quizzing us about each other. And a lot of times, people would say, "What's your favorite animal?" or "What's your spirit animal?" or whatever. And uh, we would have to like write down our answers separate from each other and then show them. And at the time, uh, a hippopotamus or possibly a rhinoceros had just escaped from a zoo in Prague, I think. And so uh, whenever we were asked that question, we would both answer a rhinoceros recently escaped from a zoo in Prague and people would be very impressed. (laughs) At how well we knew each other.
0: I was wondering how that was going to get around back to, to the question, which was that there's a lizard in this person's house. But we got, we got two animals, at least. You know, as I was
1: telling that story, Hank, I realized that it's one of those stories that is mostly funny to Nat, Wolf, and myself.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully he's a listener of the pod. Uh, but at the very least, it was fun for you. No,
1: I think, I, I think listeners of the podcast are like, why didn't Editor Nick cut that out of the pod? Yeah,
0: well... We don't. He doesn't do anything. We 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 require him to sometimes do things that are not the best for the podcast because it's the best for us. And who matters in the end but John? That's <laughs> so true.
1: That's true. But by the way, Nick, feel free to cut all of this. <laughs> Uh, So what was the point? Uh, The point was that I'm not afraid of hippopotami or rhinoceri because there are none of them outside in Indianapolis. Outside animals are fine. Inside animals are terrifying. And I think that speaks to our kind of collective obsession with the sterilization of uh, the world and especially like in Indianapolis indoors, and a feeling that uh, nature, rather than being something we are part of, is kind of a contaminant.
0: All right. Well, yes. Okay. We—that's a surprisingly deep place where you ended up there, John. Um, I've got another question. It's from Ray, who asks, Dear Hank and John, my— Aged professor, thanks for putting that in there, Ray, is always telling off her students, namely me, for putting our laptops on our laps instead of on a table. She's adamant in her belief that doing so is, quote, killing our genitals. I know that she is wrong because my genitals have not yet succumbed to the sweet embrace of inescapable death. However, could she be correct in thinking that continuously having my laptop on my lap is going to make me less fertile in some way? Is the heat damaging my reproductive organs? Are my gametes dying? Why is a why is it called a laptop if you're not meant to put it on your lap?
1: Well, Ray, I can only speak from personal experience. I have two children, and I have had my laptop on my lap
0: since 1991. <laughs> I'm gonna read to you from uh, from a Snopes.com article right now, John. A 2004 study from the State University of New York at Stony Brook involving 29 men ranging in age from 21 to 35 years old found that fellows who used laptop computers rested on their laps for an hour raised their scrotal temperatures by as much as 5 degrees Fahrenheit. Since other studies have demonstrated links between temperature increases and significant reductions in sperm production, the SUNY study concluded long-term use of laptops by teenage boys and men could be reproductively damaging. Mm. Could be. Mm. Uh, the Snopes the Snopes article calls it undetermined. Mm. So you know, it, maybe if you're trying at the moment to make a baby, then don't do that. But I think that it's probably not a huge deal. Uh, I mean, also do not use this for
1: birth control. Now I'm now I'm worried. Although I'm not worried at all because I uh, have no desire to have any more children. So if anything, I need to keep my laptop on my lap at all times.
0: <laughs> but uh, as as i screamed earlier do not use this for birth control when i was in high school there was a there was a, uh, a a myth going around that yellow number 5 the dye that they used in mountain dew would reduce people's sperm counts and i don't know if that's true or not but i do know that some people said well good enough for me i'm not trying to make a girl pregnant anyway and that translated into drink lots of mountain dew and you can't get a girl mm. pregnant which is not a true thing <laughs> not a, not an effective method of birth control don't do that, that. Is not an
1: effective method of birth control I can uh, yes yes just, as, a, as a father just of pro two, tip who is also an occasional Mountain Dew drinker I can confirm all right Hank this question comes from Gabe who writes dear John and Hank every few weeks there's a high profile news story of some horrible injustice being committed I'm a college student and I feel like there's very little I can do other than tweet my outrage but I'm pretty sure that doesn't help much is there anything I can do that makes a real difference Well, that is a big and difficult and very complicated question and one that I'm sure our advice on will be exceptionally dubious. Yeah. The first thing that I want to say, though, Hank, is that uh, it feels, at least to me right now in American life, like life is getting much, much worse. But in fact, that is not the case, at least not in any kind of straightforward way. Uh, and I, I want to underscore that because I don't want people to feel hopeless. Mm-hmm. 10 years ago, it was impossible if you wanted to marry someone of your sex to get married. Uh, the murder rate in the United States is much lower than it was 15 years ago, or 30 years ago, or 40 years ago. More people have health insurance. Uh, Help me out, Hank. What are other things that are getting better? People live longer, healthier lives. Around the world, infant mortality has declined more in the last 20 years than in any 20 year period in human history. Yeah,
0: I, I mean, even something as simple as like divorce rates going down uh, indicates a like an increase in stability of, the, you know, like that, that we would never have that that. That seems kind of like, oh, that's not how it is. Of course divorce rates are going up. But in fact, they aren't. And fewer people are getting divorced now than they used to because there's more stability in families, and that's great. Um, So the... the Yes, that is a good place to start that it's not hopeless and people are working hard to make the world better and that is a thing that has been going on for 200,000 years and continues right now. And that's really hard to identify and yes, some weeks are much worse than others and um and make us and, and have these huge and, and will leave scars on our nation forever and we will never Never feel the same way that we did before this weekend. I've, I that's how I feel. Like I feel like that this will this is going to be one of those moments that changes me. Um, not just what happened, um, you know, not just the assault at Pulse in Orlando, but also the death of Christina Grimmy who was murdered at a post show signing, which is a thing that I just did for you know two weeks in a row, over and over again every night, and and loved doing, and had a wonderful time doing, and you know that is a you know, a tremendous, like, has an outsized impact on me personally because you know I knew her, and um, and because that's what we do. That's like our thing, and uh, feels very, very real and very, um, yeah. Anyway, um, the Hannah Hart made a video this week that I think answers this question fairly well, which is that of course we we can do things. Uh, we are lucky enough to live in a country where, um you know, the way that the country is run is directly informed by the people of the country. And it can feel, I think, especially to young people who see the way that the country's been going and, and the way that, you know, things currently function, that uh, that there isn't a lot of ways to get yourself into that process and affect it. Um, but I think the faster and the and the more dedicated you can be to doing that, and and potentially not and like not just being angry at the current state of things, but actually trying to get into how the current state of things works and to affect it from the inside uh, the better. So the younger you can do that, the better because uh, not only will it be tools that you ha- are building for the future, but also that kind of uh, that kind of you know a perspective that young people only young people can have which is that this is unacceptable and we cannot let the world continue this way which is just much more common when you ha- when when you are sort of first understanding um you know how like the the problems that the world faces rather than like someone maybe my age who has seen good things happen and has and is like oh well this is pretty good compared to how it was when i was a kid um you know that 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 drive i think is uh, so it is more more likely to be to come from from the younger generation and I, I very much want uh, that passion and energy to get uh, to have the tools that people who have an established connection in the world of politics uh, to utilize those same tools and those tools really are organizing and connecting with your representatives in ways that they understand, which is not angry tweets right. necessarily, though in the future it will be more angry tweets than, than it is now uh, will have an effect. But that way is organizing groups of people together, talking uh, to the staffers of, of the people who represent you voting in ways that, uh, that make those people know that you are an important voting block and that your opinions do matter and that they understand that this group of people, this connected group of people has a, a, has, you know, can, like, can affect the outcome of an election. And those are the things that change this country. Um, and, um, yeah and it can seem dirty and gross sometimes uh to to even be interacting with a system that you see has uh has supported injustice for decades but um And and injustice and bad policy. But uh, but that's how change happens. And that is how it has happened for the entire history of America. And we have done, you know, we have made this country better, and we have made this world better. We have made bad decisions, but we have made, I think, more good decisions than bad.
1: Yeah, I certainly think the United States is a freer and fairer place than it was when it was formed. I want to underscore something that Hank said. I think it's incredibly important to reach out to your representatives, both your congresspeople, your senators, but also your local representatives. Let them know the issues that matter to you. I know it is hard. It is hard to call strangers, especially hard to call strangers who seem to be powerful people who are separate from you and distant from you. But I, it's so important. They don't listen to Twitter the same way they listen to phone calls. That's why so much political organization rev- Around calling representatives. I also think it's incredibly important to vote, not just in presidential elections, not just to focus on who's the president of the United States, but to focus on who's your state senator, who's your state rep, who are your city and county council people, because those people have an outsized say in what actually happens in the U.S. from choosing the districts the shapes of the districts that you uh, vote in so in in essence choosing the party of the uh, representative you're gonna have for for US Congress but also in many many other ways I think it's incredibly important and and I I think sometimes with our, nas- our focus on national politics, we lose that focus on local politics that makes a big difference in the everyday lives of people, right down to something like protecting LGBT people from discrimination. In the state that I live in, Indiana, there is no statewide protection for LGBT people. There is no law that says that you can't fire someone uh, for being gay. That's ludicrous, right? And that's not something that we're going to be able to fix nationally. It's something that we have to fix in Indiana. And we fix that by making the case to our local representatives that this is unacceptable, that this is part of a larger pattern of discrimination and violence that goes back to the very beginning of the history of the United States and its relationship with LGBT people. and so I think that stuff is incredibly important. yeah,
0: and and it can be overwhelming at first. Uh, but to me, it's kind of like an assignment in uh, in being an, a citizen of your country wherever you are, um, if you live in a democratic place, uh, that like you like this is it's not a requirement. Um, but it is, like, if you don't like the way things are, um, violent overthrow of the government is not going to happen, and even if it could, it would be a bad idea. And so if you want things to change, you have to learn how to make them change, and that, um... That is a process, and it involves doing things that are uncomfortable. I remember the first time I called a representative on, on the phone, I left a message, and I was, like, sweating, and I was, like, it's it's an intense and kind of difficult thing, which is, I think, like, that is part of why it is you know why it is weighed more heavily by the people at those offices and by the the politicians themselves because they know that a tweet is easy but a phone call is hard and so when people care enough to call that's when they know that an issue is becoming more important so like that that is like the like because it is hard is the reason why it matters more in some ways it's also because of course like these People are often older and, and, um, are like, and also like bureaucracies tend to change more slowly than the rest of the world. So, um, yeah, I, I, there is apps are absolutely things you can do. And by virtue of living in, in the developed world, you are a powerful person. Um, and you are far more powerful than the average person on earth. And that is a, uh, you know, kind of scary sometimes, but it, it is a real thing and it can seem not real, but, um, but it is only not, it only seems not real because, you know, we're sort of caught up in the middle of it and, and feel, uh, sort of, sort of like we're being washed over by this giant wave of, uh, crap. Uh, so yes. Uh, thank you for the great question and, uh, sorry that John and I talked for a real long time about it. I do want to say one more thing, actually.
1: (laughs) Okay. Uh, I, I want to underscore that we have big and real problems in the United States uh, on a lot of different topics, um, and that real people's lives are negatively, deeply negatively affected by those real uh, problems. Some of them are policy problems. Some of them are social problems. We have, you know, some of them are a complicated mix. I, I do think that one other thing we can do is we can try to model better discourse. We can try to do a better job on an individual level of listening to people, of listening to people we disagree with, of not shouting them down, of not trying to prove them wrong, but of trying to find ways to work together, to understand each other, to feel that we are in this together because we deeply are, and uh, to listen better. Because I I don't think Right now, in online discourse, and maybe you'll disagree with me, Hank, but I do not think that we are doing a good job of listening to each other. And I think it is much to the harm of the overall quality of American life, both political life and social life.
0: I do not disagree with you, let me tell you. And I, but, but I also have to say that I am, I also do that. And I know that you do too. We all do it. And me too. I just did it a couple
1: yeah. days ago. I lost my temper and screamed at someone. And, I, yeah, and, and you know what? It did not change that person's belief system
0: yeah. one nope. bit. I just did it uh, recently as well. On my last Vlogbrothers video, I left a nasty comment to somebody who left a nasty comment, and I was like, that didn't help anything. It didn't
1: work, but it made me feel good for a moment. It gave me a tiny a brief moment. jolt just... of excitement and then just decreased the quality of overall uh, my overall life a tiny bit in the long run. So And uh... possibly the whole world Uh, Mm. so yeah, it's not worth it. Let's move on to another question. I'm tired of this. I'm getting distressed.
0: Okay. This one is from Rachel who asks, dear Hank and John over the last year, I have consumed a lot of fan fiction and I get made fun of by my friends for it a lot. A few of my friends have called fanfiction a bad thing, but I'm not sure I agree. While sometimes it can be weird, I feel like it allows people to get their voice out about what they're writing about and thinking about. Uh, what are your thoughts on fanfiction, reading and or writing? I am strongly pro-fanfiction. Yes, I, I have written a little bit of fanfiction myself, and I very much enjoyed doing it. And I've read fanfiction, and I very much enjoy reading it. I think that it's a great tool for uh, you know, expressing passion and community and, and coalescing fandom and I also think it's a really great tool to help uh, people learn how to write better and uh, and be better readers. And I, you know, it also enhances these great worlds that we want to spend more time in but sometimes can't because uh, there are no more Harry Potter books coming out.
1: Yeah, I also really like fan fiction, and I have also written some of it uh, pseudonymously uh, in sort of as, as little breaks from my, my proper writing career and I've found it very enjoyable. I don't want to tell you what my pseudonym is, Hank, but uh, it's Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> it's Ryan Ryanson. Ryan Ryanson, uh, son of Ryan, <laughs> father of Ryan, uncle and cousin <laughs> to Ryan. Um, <laughs> I really, I, I've enjoyed my uh, experiments with writing fan fiction and I love reading it. I have to say, I am so deeply flattered when people write fan fiction about my books and I remember at one point uh, my publisher came to me and said uh, you know do you want to shut this down do you want to what? stop people from publishing this stuff and I was like no I want to send them I want to send them thank you gifts and money <laughs> like uh, I, I think this is amazing this is very good this is good good news uh, and I I Every time anybody cares enough about uh, my book to try to extend the world of it or to extend the characters of it, it's such a gift to me, and and I'm very grateful for it. Then, having said that, Hank, I would like to move on to a new question. This one is from Holly, who writes, Dear John and Hank, one phrase has bothered me for years, but John using it in the last episode made me hope he could explain it to me. Why, when someone is saying something, do they begin it with, quote, unquote? Shouldn't it be, quote, whatever they are saying, Unquote. Why do people say unquote and others say end quote? Are both correct? Help me understand. Well, Holly, end quote is incorrect. Ah. And I know it's incorrect because I don't use it. <laughs> uh, okay. And, the, and the, the ultimate style guide is the style guide I was taught by my parents <laughs> when I was born. <laughs> we all know the real English style guide. Uh... <laughs> was formed in Orlando, Florida by Mike and Sidney Green in about 1982
0: to 1985. <laughs> <laughs> so the just just saying, quote, quote unquote, and then you say the thing is just a way of saving time, right? Quote, unquote, and then you can kind of tell when the quote ends. So you don't have to say, quote, and then say this thing, and then say, unquote, at the end of it. That would just be, that would, that would be sort of weirder.
1: Well, I, I can never think of, I, I use, quote, unquote,
0: a lot, except I, can, I can't currently think of an example. Um, well, but why don't you just say "quote"? Like, I get it. There's also going to be an end of the quote someday, right. and it will be implied by your by the tone of your speech. So you can yeah. just say, "And Charles Darwin said quote," and then say what Charles Darwin said.
1: Well, in that situation, Not, I quote, would unquote. say Charles Darwin said quote and, and etc. But when I say quote unquote, it's usually about one or two words that I feel are being misused. Uh, or I feel I, I want to oh, separate somehow yes, from do my do voice. I want to insert it into someone else's voice. Uh, uh-huh. The way that I would use air quotes, right? So when I mm-hmm. say quote unquote, I'm basically saying air quotes.
0: Right, right, right
1: as for why I say it again I say it because
0: that's how my parents taught me to talk when I was a child and then and then as far as saying unquote versus end quote is that an eggcorn uh I don't know all I know is that
1: quote unquote is correct because I have decided that it is correct I feel
0: like I feel like end quote is a thing that happened because people thought that people were saying end quote when they were saying unquote but in mm-hmm. either case it totally works which is fine mm-hmm. Um and yes. and this is the, the the uh and and so like that entering accepted language usage would be fine but uh i i love that this can be called uh an eggcorn because it is a a word that uh people misheard but the mishearing makes sense and that uh eggcorn being what people thought Uh, Someone was saying when they were saying acorn, but they thought it was an egg corn because it looked kind of like a kernel of corn, but was hard and ovular like an egg.
1: I think that we should start calling acorns egg
0: corns now that I've thought about it. Why do we call acorns acorns? What a weird word. I don't know, but I have a more important thing to say, which is that the word oval either comes from the word ovum or the word ovum comes from the word oval. And I had never realized that from, until now, and now I want to know. Today's podcast is brought to you by the word ovum, or possibly the word oval, we're not sure yet. It comes from, the, <laughs> it indeed comes from the, from the word egg. Uh, so it started with egg, and then you went from egg to oval shapes. So, so
1: it turns out that today's podcast is brought to you by ovums, or ova, or ovi. <laughs>
0: not very good with my Latin. <laughs> yeah, good, 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 John. This podcast is also brought to you by Katie's Rock Band. Uh, Katie's Rock Band. They didn't tell me what the name of the band was, but hopefully they won't have a big fight about it when they are trying to establish it.
1: Yeah, Hank, it occurs to me that maybe the number one piece of advice we could have given Katie about her rock band is that she needs to start doing a better job of marketing her rock band by, for instance, including its name in her email to us.
0: Yes, that would have have helped. Uh, If anybody wants to help name Katie's Rock Band, you can leave that on Twitter. Twitter, uh, hashtag Dear Hank and John. That's a great idea, Hank. We should
1: name Katie's rock band.
0: Yeah, we did. Yeah, we should. should. do that? You wanna
1: you know you I already have a I already have a name for it. Okay. Occupado. <laughs> what else is this podcast brought to you by, John? Today's podcast is also brought to you by Mountain Dew. Mountain Dew. <laughs> Not effective birth control, as it turns
0: out. And finally, this podcast is brought to you by the wiggling tail of the lizard that is now inside of Candler's litter box. Candler, a cat who's not a cat whose cat <laughs> ate a lizard and made its owner afraid of the lizard that got ate. That's it's, the worst
1: brought to you by that we've
0: ever done. Uh, uh, you know I think I think in the end though, that sometimes we have to show our rough edges. Oh you yeah, have to God, God
1: knows this podcast doesn't have enough rough edges. Great point, <laughs> Hank. What we're really lacking around here is rough edges. Sometimes I like to imagine the world after us, the strange mammals that will emerge, the abundance of biodiverse plant life taking over our fields and factories and so on. I don't think this world will be better. I maintain that we are the most interesting thing to happen on Earth, and there is real beauty and meaning in our curiosity and compassion, even as we also cause and witness so much suffering. But at any rate, there will be a world after us, after each of us. And that's why there's life insurance. It exists to provide a financial safety net to those who love and count on you. Policy Genius's technology makes it easy to compare life insurance quotes from America's top insurers in just a few clicks to find your lowest price. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year. For one million dollars of coverage some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams so save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using policy genius head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save that's policygenius.com policy genius because there will be a world without us
0: I don't want it to get too polished, John. Oh, yeah. God forbid. Uh, all right. I, I got another question. I, that This one's from last week's uh, set, and I, I wanted to answer it. Um, so I apologize, uh, John, that this isn't in your document. It says, uh, it's from Jackie, who asks Dear Hank and John, Uh, growing up, most of my friends were forced to learn a musical instrument by their parents or school. Our lives were much more regimented as children. If your mom said you had to practice, you just had to practice. I never had that pressure to gain that skill, and I'm worried I'm at a disadvantage. My question is, do you have any dubious dubious advice for those of us picking up a hobby who aren't between the ages of 7 and 15? What do I do when I want to give up and my parents aren't there to force me to practice? I actually started to play guitar when I was 24 years old. And uh, I was had never done it before, and th- here's the thing that it's all about: uh, you have to get through a, a a a period of time when it is not fun. And in order to do that, you can either have a great deal of motivation and self-control, or you can pay a person to make you do it and to be disappointed in you if you don't, which is what I did. His name was James, and he was my guitar teacher, and I took about six months of guitar lessons, and it got me through the hard part until I could play some of my favorite songs and sing them, and it was fun. Um, so that, that uh, you know, if you... If you can't afford that, then you've got to get one of Karen Cavett's, you know, daily calendars where you mark off that you did something every day and you never let yourself not do it um, and uh, find other motivational techniques like that. But, uh, but once you get through that initial process, um, you know, I'm still not like a virtuosic guitar player or anything. I can I can't even do any finger picking. I just play chords, but I have a really good time doing it. And that's what music is about. Isn't it also about being good, though? Uh, it's a uh, yeah. I mean it. It's about it's about progressing. I think. I think that's part of the fun part of learning any skill, uh, getting better, and and that is a source of great joy. And I think that all people like it, like having something in your life that you are on the path to mastery, which of course is a thing that never happens, um, does increase life satisfaction. And I think I would recommend it to anyone, whether it's guitar or, um, poetry or, uh, management.
1: (laughs) No, I absolutely agree that like feeling like you're progressing at something you care about is a huge part of having a high quality of life, at least for me. Like, it's the, it's kind of the central thing. And when I feel like I'm not progressing mm-hmm. at the things that I care about, I get very frustrated. Yes. So, Hank, before we get to the news from Mars and AFC Wimbledon, I just want to read one uh, response email that we got because it's absolutely fantastic. In a recent podcast, you told the story about the time that your bike got stolen. Uh, do you remember?
0: Yes, I do. It did not. It did not, in fact, get stolen. It did not, in fact, get stolen. What, in fact, had happened to it? Uh, I had locked it up downtown and then and then walked home and forgotten.
1: Correct. So this is Emma's story for four months. For several <laughs> months, yes. This is Emma's story. Hank exclamation point. While listening to your podcast, I got excited for about 30 seconds because of our almost identical stolen bike stories until you got to the part where you realized you had left it somewhere. A month after my bike was stolen in real life, I found it chained to a pole next door to my house for sale. I just kind of let it happen because I felt like they must need money more than I needed the bike. I see it as kind of a win-win. They got some money, somebody else got a nice bike, and I got a story to tell. Emma, Hank, is a better person than any of us.
0: (laughs) I mean, really? Oh, man. You didn't even buy your own bike back? You could have been like, hey, yeah, I'd like to buy this bike, but can I get a bit of a discount because of how it's mine? (laughs) I mean— Give me 20% off. I don't like to nominate
1: people for sainthood, Hank. It's not, it's not in my nature. But uh, I think that we should have a talk with Pope Benedict, personal friend, <laughs> about possibly making Emma a saint. <laughs>
0: I don't know. Oh, How well man. do you
1: know Pope Benedict, Hank?
0: Uh, not at all. Though I do know some people who have talked with him because uh, several YouTubers got to go and meet the Pope. Yeah. Well, uh, I have a cousin
1: who is a uh, Catholic priest So the Pope and I are
0: acquainted. Right. Yes, that is how that works. I believe that is correct. Hank, is there any news from Mars this week? Oh, you know what, John? There is. You may be surprised to find out. Uh, So Elon Musk has provided... Some new details on his mission to Mars, uh, his plans for how to get humans to Mars. So, the way that Mars works is it goes around the sun, and so does Earth, which means that occasionally they are very far apart because Mars will be on the other side of the sun, and occasionally they are pretty close together. And that happens once every two years uh, that Mars and Earth get uh, close enough to, like, close together, so that makes it a much cheaper and quicker trip. Uh, So, that the next time that will happen is in 2018 so it's basically 2018 2020 2022 2024 Elon Musk wants to send his first unmanned spacecraft to Mars in 2018 uh it is wow. it is as soon as that my guess is that it will probably be 2020 because that that is a very near target but he uh he wants to have it launched on a rocket that has never launched before called the Falcon Heavy and it will be using the Dragon spaceship which would be the, the the spacecraft I should say be the heaviest thing to ever land on Mars by a factor of 10 and uh, the the plan then thereafter would be that first mission would go in 2018 and then 2022 they would be sending more supply missions that would be like these are things that people are going to use once they get there so they're not even there will be some science experiments going along with those things some robotic experiments but there will also be things that will aid human explorers as they get to the surface Of Mars. Um, And that would happen again in 2020 and 2022, with more missions that would have uh, more payloads. And I think that his plan is that as soon as 2022, there would be humans, humans, colonists, in uh, what he refers to as the Mars Colonial Transporter, uh, designed to bring people to Mars. Now, that seems outlandishly optimistic. Uh, but that is Elon Musk for you. It is very difficult to say how this effort would be funded. Of course, uh, his plan is to to significantly decrease the cost. That does not make it cheap. Um, but uh, I, I think that, like, on the inside estimate— SpaceX's plan Elon Musk's plan is to get it, like I would think that if they have everything go very well they could be actually sending human people to Mars by 2024 and he continues to outline this plan saying the goal is not to have those people go and then come back uh, and then have, have gone to Mars the way we did with the moon but have the people go and come back but always be sending new people as well and uh, and establish a, a permanent station that would be always staffed on the surface of Mars and uh, he says it is dangerous and people will probably die and they will know that uh, and they will pave the way and ultimately it will be very safe to go to Mars and it will be very comfortable. But that will be many years in the future.
1: Wow. I mean... Is there a way that you and I can make a bet right now as to whether or not there will be any humans on Mars by
0: 2024? Well, the launch will happen in 2024. So they land, they would be landing in 2025. Uh, I, I would I'll, not... You know what? I'll give you an extra year.
1: I'll give you till 2026. Well, I'll give you 10 years from today. Do you believe that there will be humans on Mars? Well,
0: that's not how the Mars missions work. As we as we discussed previously, it's once every two years, so it will either be twenty twenty five or twenty twenty seven or twenty twenty nine. It will definitely not be twenty twenty six. But you just said that the idea is that they that there will be permanent staffing. Well, yes. So there would be there, some. Kind there would of be human people still there, but it would not increase my chances if you gave me twenty twenty six. Is what I'm saying. It wouldn't make it. It mm. wouldn't make it more likely. Uh, you'd have. All
1: right, I'll give you twenty twenty
0: seven. All right, can I'll you give you me years. better than even odds? I will not give you better than
1: even odds. I'm asking you to throw in your lot with Elon Musk and believe that in 11 years, there will be a human. I will even say it's okay if the human is dead. A, a human alive or dead on Mars. <laughs> oh, God. Well, I think we should let our, our listeners suggest the stakes.
0: Okay. Yes, the stakes do not have to be monetary. Please suggest the stakes at uh, on Twitter hashtag Dear Hank and John, or on our Patreon, patreon.com slash DearHankAndJohn.
1: Speaking of our Patreon, Hank, I, I, there's this ridiculous picture of you that's circulating with the announcement of you've just created a new nonprofit. Congratulations, the Internet Creators Guild. And uh, it's going to be an organization that advocates for uh, online creators and, and increases transparency in, in, in their business dealings and stuff. It's very exciting. But there's this picture of you that's uh, circulating that I'm gonna put on the Patreon, and you look oh. ridiculous.
0: Oh, uh, what? Which, which one
1: is it's it? It's the one where somehow you've, you're at a conference and you've managed to like, oh move god your yeah that one so that it's like you're wearing it as if it were a tiny Miss America sash. It's the most <laughs> ludicrous picture of you I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> and if you want to go to the I Patreon page, you don't have to subscribe or anything. I'm just putting this up for the sheer joy of, of sharing Hank's ridiculousness with you. It's at patreon.com slash dear Hank and John. Uh,
0: uh, yeah, I mean, well, it, it, the, the a, problem is... I'm very is excited, it,
1: Hank, to find out whether or not there's going to be okay. a human on Mars by 2017. Uh, and and indeed, to have our listeners suggest stakes in this bet. It it finally gives me something that I can get excited about. Preventing humans from going to <laughs> Mars by 2027. <laughs> <laughs> oh God! I've finally got a mission oh in life. I've got to no. sabotage Elon Musk's <laughs> mission <laughs> no no um yeah, I'm gonna become the anti anti Elon Musk I'm gonna start like advocating for decreasing the amount of funding we're spending on space. Who wants to go to space when we've got a great planet right here can
0: we call can we call you like a Leon mush <laughs> Are you going to the anti-Elon Musk, Leon Mush?
1: <laughs> oh, man. I'm starting a Twitter right now, twitter.com slash Leon Musk, where I'm going to do nothing but try to destroy Elon Musk's whole life so that I can prevent him from sending people to Mars and win some stupid bet with you. Okay, there is some news from AFC Wimbledon this week. It's sad news. These days, all the news seems to be sad. We're going up. Hank, it's the most improbable thing. We've had to submit a new... uh description of the podcast to iTunes because we're now a third-tier soccer team, but uh, not a fourth-tier soccer team, but uh, today it was announced that uh, Ade Aziz, who um, is a striker uh, perhaps best known not just for his goals, but for the song that uh, Wimbledon fans sang about him, your defense is terrified, Aziz is on fire. (laughs) Ade Ade Aziz, uh, it has been announced, is leaving AFC Wimbledon uh, to sign for uh, a Scottish team called Partick Thistle uh, that I once mistakenly called Patrick Thistle. And uh, lots of people have given me crap about it over the years, but it's Partick Thistle. Um, So uh, Ade Aziz is still a really young player. I think he's just 22. uh, Was a really important player. striker for AFC Wimbledon, but usually played off the bench and I think is headed to Partick Thistle because he wants to be a starter. Uh, So I wish him luck. We all wish him luck. He was a huge part of uh, of the... Wimbledon season that led to promotion uh, but this is another loss another player leaving and we haven't yet heard word of many players coming in or any Mm -hmm. players coming in actually so it's a little bit scary Mm -hmm. but I trust Neil Ardley our beloved manager and I'm sure that it will be fine Uh, but that is the news from AFC Wimbledon we are bidding adieu to Ade Aziz in fact now Hank we've lost both of our strikers named Adebayo, uh, Autobio Akinfenwa, and uh, Autobio Aziz. So everything is changing. That is the nature of life. Mm-hmm. Uh, by 2027,
0: Wimbledon will be in the Premier League. How much money do we need to give them for them to get get a bunch of people to replace the people? Uh, well, hundreds of thousands of dollars? I don't have that. Uh, do you want to do a bet that that AFC Wimbledon won't be in the Premier League in 2027? Yeah. I, do, I think we will be in the Premier League in 2027,
1: absolutely, 100%. Well, but I,
0: yes. No doubt. Okay, so, what's, so is there another
1: bet here? I mean, do you really want to bet against a team owned by its fans that had to reform in 2002 and had open tryouts on Wimbledon Common? You want to bet against that happening? You're a dark person, Hank Green. You just bet against humanity going to another planet. I'm just trying to bet against what i see as dangerous ill advised <laughs> missions to mars i don't even actually believe that but now i really want to win the bet so i'm just going to become like a hardcore you know what hank i've heard actually that going to mars can be bad for your sperm count just like uh, putting a laptop on your lap
0: no that is definitely true that it could it could very easily be bad for your sperm count and also all of your other counts <laughs> Oh boy, Hank, what did we learn today? We learned that if you're trying to have a baby, uh, then putting a laptop on your lap is not necessarily the best idea. But if you're trying not to have a baby, putting a laptop on your lap will not actually help you achieve that goal. Uh, uh, we,
1: we learned that the science is still out on putting a laptop on your lap. We also learned that Candler is not a cat. Nope, not a cat. Just a
0: person with a cat. And we learned that John Green has a secret identity under which he writes fan fiction, and that secret identity is Ryan Ryanson, son of Ryan. <laughs> and
1: of course, we learned that Elon Musk will not be going to Mars by 2027. Not if Leon Musk has anything to say about it.
0: <laughs> Thanks to the efforts of Leon <laughs> Musk.
1: i got to log out of my Twitter so I can get twitter.com slash Leon Moss
0: Alright, thank you (laughs) Thank you, uh, John, for podcasting with me. Uh, Thank you, everyone, for listening Uh, Our podcast is edited by Nicholas Jenkins Uh, Rosiana Hals-Rojas helps out with the questions. Our intern is Claudia Morales. The Dear Hank and John music is by Gunnarola, and as they say in our hometown Don't Don't forget forget to be be awesome. awesome I forgot to tell people where they could email us. Oh, Hank, you're better than that. You can email us at dearhankandjohn.com. Did that count? No, that it doesn't would work have either. If that was our email not address, even that. but it isn't. So you <laughs> still haven't succeeded. You can email us at hankandjohn at gmail.com. And as they say in our hometown, don't, don't forget, forget to BS be awesome.